Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best One Sense the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than the thermostat setting at Mr. Freeze's birthday party into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. I'm not even sure if that one makes sense, but we're going with it anyways. You are listening to the Batman on Screen series. Uh, last week, we covered Matt Reeves' The Batman. This week, we're going to dive headfirst, like Batman diving off with an ice ray telescope into Batman and Robin and Batman Forever, the Schumacher years. But before that, we got to touch on Franchise Frenzy, our March Madness style tournament that we have going on right now to determine the series that we're going to do this fall. As you're hearing, this round two has begun, and we are looking at Aliens versus Planet of the Apes, Lord of the Rings versus Harry Potter, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles edging out Superman, uh, Spider-Man getting the drop on X-Men, surprisingly still a shocking one to me, James Bond knocking out John Wick. And Mission Impossible taking out the Fast and Furious crew. Uh, my heart is broken, but you know what? It's my show, so we can do the Fast and the Furious some other time. So, yeah. So make sure you get your votes in for round two of Franchise Frenzy uh, and help determine what we cover this fall with the show. And, um, you know, it's always fun to just click on random things online anyway. So, you know you want to. So thanks for uh, participating in that. This week, our guest is Ren of Stitchcraft. Hi, Ren. Hello. Can I just say it was I I didn't <laughs> I didn't read what you were gonna like do the intro, so it was really hard not to laugh at the <laughs> so I appreciate I appreciate your professionalism and, and uh you could have laughed, but it's okay. <laughs> it, it probably would have made me feel better about myself. But, oh yeah. So yeah, welcome to the show. Um we uh you were you were more than game to cover Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which is more I can more than I can say for a lot of other people that uh, I invited to the Batman series overall. Um, <laughs> what what draws you to these movies and what draws you to Batman in general? Yeah. Um, so, oh, geez. So, <laughs> I need to preface this by saying that I was raised on horror films. So, okay, <laughs> uh, keep that in mind when I tell you the story. Um, Enough said. My <laughs> my mom had this giant curio actually she still has it um and it was filled with like vhs vhs tapes so uh one of the things she would always let me do is like open the curio and just like pick like whatever movie i wanted to watch uh and that's just kind of how my love for film started um and i remember (laughs) i have a vivid memory of like always seeing the batman vhs tape like the original 1989 one and for some reason it scared me and i don't know if it was because it was just black with the logo on it and then you flipped it over and it was just um i believe like one of the main photos on the back was the joker um scared the crap out of me so just like (laughs) i never wanted to watch that and i was like given the fact that i've seen other things so for some reason that just spooked me um and and i just never watched it like as when i sort of started getting into film um at like the age of like six which is like (laughs) too young to be watching horror i think but my mom was just like as long as you're watching with me it doesn't matter um (laughs) but uh one day i did and and i got around to it and i loved how campy they were um i'm not really into comic book reading um at least not as much as i used to be i think my relationship with a lot of the dc universe is through animated films animated shows and like the movies 
Um, and there's just something about him, man. And either you love him or you hate him. And these just happen to be ones on my list that I really love. So yeah, <laughs> I am sure. more than happy to talk about these because there's just something magical about him. <laughs> there is that a lot of movies have that middle ground. And but these uh, Schumacher, your Batman films definitely have you either love him or you hate him. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I just it's Batman as a character with you being raised on horror. It makes sense. I was talking to. Um, we were talking about, you know, the Batman last week mm-hmm. and, um, Paul, who's on the show, we were talking about how like the best Batman is the Gothic horror Batman, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in the movies or comic books. Um, so, I mean, it makes sense. And I just love, I love that the 89 Batman VHS was like a dark totem for you. It like, <laughs> anyway, it's too, it's too powerful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the haunted curio cabinet. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. And, and in terms of Batman stuff, you have some Batman merchandise, with your with your uh, online business, did you want to talk a little bit about Stitchcraft real quick? Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> uh, so Stitchcraft kind of started honestly because of Star Wars. Um, there's like this whole story that goes back to uh, in February of 2020, right before the world went. To, uh, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, before, can, okay, <laughs> I, more swearing the better. Honestly. Cool, cool, cool. Right before the world went to shit, uh, a bunch of my friends and I got to go to Disneyland, and it was my first time doing Galaxy's Edge, and we dressed up as well we went we we disney bounded both days so one day we were uh night sisters and then the other day we were like just kind of rebel so we did like you know dark and light both days um amazing and i made this like hooded scarf situation to go with my costume and i like jokingly was like i should i should like sell these because like they were just (laughs) it was just like a passing joke nothing too serious and then um when we got back, people showed some genuine interest in them. So I kind of started selling them as Star Wars, like accessory pieces for Disney bounding. Sure. And then it sort of just spiraled in a good way, I guess, to me utilizing my graphic design degree to like draw more and do more illustration and kind of translating that into products. And so now it's just kind of evolved into my fandom, like, <laughs> drop drop posts i don't know how to describe it but it's like anything that i love kind of just gets made into something and i just kind of plop it up and it's like here you go like the right people will find it and it's usually about like things that i love and that i would want to see and wear or like buy um so right now because i saw the batman that's all i want to do is draw stuff from the batman sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like movies movies will hook me and because i love film so much um it's it's always something i i don't think i'm never like not uh at a loss for what to create because i'm always watching something Absolutely. um i think i watch like one movie a day like minimum i could just sit on the couch after work and put something on um and if i'm inspired i'm inspired if not then it's like cool i got to enjoy this really cool movie but yeah so um I was really hyped for the Batman because I am an unapologetic fan of the Twilight Saga. And so... Love it. Noted for when we do that series. Oh my gosh. (laughs) When I tell you I've been waiting for someone to do a Twilight podcast or something so I could just come on and talk about it because I was a fan from day one and I love seeing the Renaissance. But um, yeah, like I can talk about that for forever. But yeah, like Robert Pattinson's been a staple in my life since like Harry Potter. And so um, yeah, so when he was cast as Batman, it was like, 
like finally, you know, like the world's <laughs> going to get to see this guy in something else. <laughs> because that- unfortunately, a lot of people haven't seen a lot of the things that he's been in post Twilight. And so right. it's always like this negative connotation with him about like oh like yeah he did twilight but like is he really good at anything else and it's like yeah there's a lot of good movies he's done guys yeah people tend to skip skip like 10 years of robert pattinson right yeah and i'm like doing the most amazing bizarre seriously uh, off kilter work like if you haven't watched high life you got to watch high life it's amazing i haven't seen high life uh the lighthouse was my most recent one which was amazing (laughs) um and then before that was tenant so it's like guys just watch (laughs) just watch there's like whenever someone asks for a recommendation with him i'm always like okay one that i think is just like peak weird robert pattinson to me um is this movie called damsel where he plays um this guy who's just delusional about this woman played by mia wasikowski i can never say her last name right wasikowski uh this whole time you think he's you know in love with this girl and that she's in love with him and he's on this quest to bring her a mini horse because she said she loved mini horses and it's it's bizarre because it's like halfway through it takes this weird turn and you're like oh my gosh like what (laughs) but it's heard that movie yeah i'll make a note of that for sure it's great um but yeah so like when he got cast as batman it was like finally you know like everyone's gonna see something good and i get to have my twilight renaissance like post twilight (laughs) renaissance dreams with another franchise that i love and so I made that shirt and people love the shirt. And now I'm just like, cool, let's make more Batman stuff. Cause I think that there's not a lot of original Batman content out there yet in terms of uh, merchandise. So sure. I'm trying to fill a void <laughs> when it comes to Robert Pattinson. Like, so you must be obsessed with him saying like to Zoe Kravitz where he's like being a twilight hater. So like 10 years ago, it is. <laughs> <laughs> It's yes, so exactly. Well, um, like it's it, it it really comes down to, you know, the pandemic and quarantine. Like what were we supposed to do during this time other than revisit things that you that you loved, you know, like things that were that made totally. you happy. And so Body I think comfort. yeah, and I think Twilight was it was like the perfect time for the resurgence for new fans to fall in love with it and old fans to be excited about new fans and like kind of the whole acceptance thing because it's like (laughs) i'm 32 guys and i've been a fan my like since it came out so it's like (laughs) when the resurgence happened i'm like finally like everyone understands and like we weren't stupid for like yeah it's i showed it to my best friend for the first time last year and she's also in her 30s and she had never seen them and now she's in love with them and I live in Washington, so I literally can go to like most of the filming locations. And I started going last year, so yeah, like it's it's really fun. Like I I and Robert Pence is just great, guys. Like honestly, just give him a chance. Like don't even if you don't like Twilight, that's fine. Get that out of your brain. But there's a lot of good movies out there that you could watch before going into Batman if you're like you know not totally. sure about him. <laughs> so you've seen the Batman, and plan was originally to do, to do these leading up to it, but you know. Uh, life happens and you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of it's kind of fun now to have actually having it like in the arsenal of batman movies to talk about Um, yeah what were your your thoughts on the movie itself um i have no complaints and i think there's very few movies that i've seen where like 
I'm just like, this is a perfect movie. And maybe I'm like really delusional in that thought, guys, but there's just, there was nothing wrong with it to me. And maybe it's because um, I'm not as into the comics, so I don't really have anything to like base any of this content off of, or, you know, like it's kind of it's kind of like how with star wars fans that consume a lot of star wars content and when something like boba fett comes out everyone's got something bad to say about it because it's not like the boba fett that they know because they know all this other stuff i don't know a lot about batman i know what i know just based on what i've seen so i think going into it with not a lot of knowledge is what allowed me to have a really good time with it um and it i yeah i thought it was the perfect and maybe also because i'm you know, I lived through, <laughs> I lived through that emo phase of the early two thousands <laughs> that it just like resonated with me to see if there's like this emo <laughs> Bruce Wayne with like the hair and just the brooding. And it's like, yeah, like this is something that I've never seen before the Batman. So, you know, in terms of um, visually and, and some of the cues there, but I thought he was great. I thought the casting overall and in terms of all the characters that we know was fantastic. I thought Paul Dano was just amazing out of this world as it like bizarre, so bizarre, but so terrifying, you know, like even though it was a PG 13 movie, I was like, wow, this guy's like really terrifying. <laughs> like he really did, did a really good job in that role. Yeah. I, I mean, Zoe, perfect. I forgot that Colin Farrell was the penguin. That's how good he was as the penguin. That was, I didn't even realize that was him. Yeah, he completely disappeared into it, and he was he was so wonderful. good, so so good. Yeah, I've 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 got no complaints. I I mean, what about you? Honestly, this exact same. I feel the same way, and I I like I don't have a ton of Batman knowledge either, besides like what I've been digging into for this podcast. You know, I've, I read a lot of Batman growing up, but I'm not like a diehard devoted fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is just the the version of Batman I've really always wanted to see on screen where it's like just heightened enough to not be realistic, but it's like mm-hmm. grounded in reality. That was my biggest p- complaint I had about like the Nolan trilogy is that it was too hyper realistic. Um, it was a little too like straining too hard to be as real as possible and put Batman in a realistic environment because I don't I want to be kind of dismissed from reality. Right. Uh, watching this. And so like to be transported to this really diseased, decaying Gotham, a city taken under by crime and how this Batman's kind of still grieving through the process and he's still in his obsession phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and it's this origin of Batman becoming Batman. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like, it's like him learning that he needs to be Bruce Wayne and Batman and not just so obsessed with being Batman that it drives him into the ground. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just thought it was really well done. Matt Reeves is my hero. I, I just, I just think it's like so wonderful. Zoe Kravitz is so, so good. Yeah. The more I the more I sat with it, I was like, man, she crushed that movie. Paul Dano is from a different planet. Uh, Seriously. Really, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even know where. Like, This performance is just something I just keep thinking about. Um, and I said to Paul in the last episode, but it's just something that like he's so maniacal and he's so insane that like you have to have a smile on your face, but it makes you feel crazy for like enjoying it so much. But like the performance is just so there and it's so good that you're like, I'm on a ride right now. This is so, so good. Um, and I just keep thinking about that scene with him and Batman um, in the interrogation cell. Oh, my like, gosh. You know, yeah. You know, he's just like, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, like, Bruce. for a second, you think he knows, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, and then, I like, I... That, that he doesn't that he doesn't actually know. He's like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there's something, there's just, and, oh, man, I saw a tweet um, where someone was just like, 
Robert Pattinson's just like acting with his face was so good. Like even when he wasn't talking, it's like you felt everything. So the moment he realized that um that he didn't know that he was like that Bruce Wayne was Batman was so mm-hmm. just like you felt like your heart just like oh like because his like <laughs> his eyes when he's like what did you do what did yeah you do? um yeah his mask acting was incredible him and um him and Pedro Pascal should have a. Oh uh, man! Should, should teach uh, like a helmet slash mask acting class. Yeah. Uh, so that's the most recent Batman, but we have some business to attend to with probably the Batman movies that are responsible for superhero movies being the way they are now. With uh, you know Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, basically reset the entire superhero complex and 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 set things on a more quote unquote mature route. And uh, before we uh, get any further into that. We got ahead of the back computer for a rundown on Batman, the Schumacher years. So to the back, Kate. So, yeah, the darkly violent and overtly sexual nature of Batman Returns had left Batman in a bit of a lurch, uh, a bit of a crossroads. Diminishing box office returns from Batman Returns had studio executives and toy makers alike feeling a little gun shy about jumping into a new Batman series so soon. You know, they asked Burton to basically step down. Burton agreed to, t- you know, take a step back and become more of a producer on any kind of new Batman movie that was going to be released. Uh, and then enter Joel Schumacher, whose you know presence on the project and subsequent sequel would forever change the destiny of the Cape Crusader on screen. You know, Batman Forever, when it f- was first released, Batman was in kind of a spot where Batman Returns was so crazy and so darkly violent with like the penguin eating a live fish out of his hands and like yes salivating like <laughs> whack goo out of his mouth and then uh, Michelle Fiverr's Catwoman was so like insanely sexual mm-hmm. uh, and, and amazing that like everyone was just like ah but we, we, we can't sell these toys to kids we can't we can't really do this so you know they brought Joel Schumacher in who had more of this vision of a this campy version of of Batman which became Batman Forever um, released on June 16th 1995 Directed, of course, by Joel Schumacher, written by Lee Batchelor, Janet Scott Batchelor, and uh, partially by Akiva Goldsman. Uh, we'll talk more about Akiva Goldsman in a little bit. Um, music by Elliot Goldenthal, who was asked to not do exactly what Danny Elfman did, but pretty close. Mm. Um, he came in and just kind of made this like, you know, generic brand Batman theme for it. For it. What do you, What do you think of the music in these movies? I'm gonna be honest with you, like I kind of never noticed them, and I don't yeah. know if it's yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's just it's they're kind of they're kind of just there. Other, yeah, other yeah. than like the theme, like the the theme that we know, but like yeah, the, the music. I I just never even realized there was music, and I don't know if that's a good or. I mean, that's probably bad. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Elliot. You, you tried Sorry. No. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, with this one, Michael Keaton was thought that to be reprising the role of Batman slash Bruce Wayne for this film. But um, when he found out Joel Schumacher's more campy vision for Batman and uh, he was like, no, I'm out. Like I want a more, Oh, I was, you know, I'm on team Burton and uh, I want to have a more darker, darker vision of Batman. So it's kind of crazy how many people like didn't do the movie because of Schumacher and like the campiness that he wanted to do for it. Like I was looking at all the list of people that were like considered. And a lot of them said no, because they didn't want it to be so cartoony. You know, Joel Schumacher loved Val Kilmer's role in tombstone and like, who doesn't? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, so he sought him out basically saying like, 
wouldn't he be a good Batman? Let's get him. Um, so, you know, after Keaton dropped out, they brought in Val Kilmer. Then we get in the real meat of potatoes in the casting of this movie <laughs> with, with our guy, Tommy Lee Jones as two faced Harvey Dent. Um, I just want to read this whole quote from Joel Schumacher from the oral history of Batman forever. Um, and it's just so good. And it's, I love a grumpy old man. And Tommy Lee Jones is like in the top five Hollywood grumpy old men of all time. Tommy would be a fantastic two-face. So go get him. So I sent Tommy Lee the screenplay down in Texas. And two hours later, he calls me up and says, I don't get it. <laughs> I said, no, why don't you reread the fucking thing? And remember that Academy Award winning actor Tommy Lee Jones is playing the fucking role. I just love the idea of Tommy Lee Jones getting the, the script for Batman forever and be like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so, so good. Obviously, at this point, this is Jim Carrey's rising star moment. So this is like him at the height of his power. And, you know, they kind of brought him in as a pinch hitter for Robin Williams, who just a, a deal was never struck with him. But I, I don't know. To this day, I think Robin Williams would have made an amazing Riddler. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, Jim Carrey is huge at this point. And I, I remember t I remember Jim Carrey being such a big deal that he was in this movie. I could not wait. Watching the movie now with him, I feel like it's like mixed results. There's some moments where I'm like, this is so awesome. And this it kind of... um harkens back to the batman 66 like the real campy riddler mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then there's some moments where he's just he's super obnoxious to me where i'm like i can't i can barely like watch it but it's mostly a really winning performance from jim carrey i remember as a kid all the different like costume changes i thought were really fascinating uh, yeah and especially especially his like final form in his hideout when he's got like the like the silver sequin costume and like the crazy like feathered out hair i have a um, fun fact about that costume because let's do it yeah yeah so like uh everyone listening i my background is in apparel design but i started that only because i loved cosplay and making costumes so i'm all i'm always looking at costume design and film so it's like one of my favorite things so um and looking up information on like the costumes for these movies uh the the, the little rhinestone one apparently because he was so animated like when he acted like you know we you know jim carrey he's very full body movement actor um like the rhinestones and question marks kept falling off the costume. So like no one scene with that costume is the same costume <laughs> because they've had, they had to like add in different rhinestones and like reattach question marks. So like every time he did a scene, they have to take it off, put on a mannequin, touch it up and then put it back on him. So it's like, I, I wonder how many, like exact, like exactly how many times they had to like basically redo this entire costume because he just doesn't know how to stay still. <laughs> he can't. He, he will not. And, uh, I, I love that. I wonder how, how many different combinations of that costume. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely is a very antic, really over the top, hugely animated actor, much to the chagrin of Tommy Lee Jones, who completely hated working with Jim Carrey, like despised, just hated his guts. Um, and there was an interview with uh, on Norm Macdonald Live. This is Jim Carrey kind of explaining a run-in with Tommy Lee Jones that he had while they were working on Batman Forever. He was at a restaurant, and, he, and, and uh, you know, the mentor D said, oh, Tommy, I hear you're working with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. He's over in the corner having, uh, having dinner. Uh, and, uh, and I went over, and I said, oh, yeah, great. I went over, and I, 
I said, hey, Tommy, how you doing? Like that, and the blood just drained from his face. <laughs> like, oh. like he had been thinking about me 24 You'd hours. You'd already done the movie. He was just fucking, no, no. It was oh. before the biggest scene we have together oh. in the movie, and the blood just drained from his face. And he got, he started shaking. And he got up and he went, mm, ah, 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 like this. He must have been in mid-kill-me fantasy or something like that. He was like, ah, 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 like this. And he went, like, to hug me, and yeah. he said, I hate you. <laughs> I really don't like you like that. <laughs> and 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 I, I said, gee, man, what's what's the problem? Like that. And I pulled up a chair, which probably wasn't smart. And uh, he said, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> so I think that that's a shirt for your store right there. Is like cannot sanction. I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pocket that because that's great. You know, because oh, you, you could just yeah, you could say that to literally anyone about anything. So it's like <laughs> exactly, I love it. I cannot picture Tommy Lee Jones shaking from anger, saying, "I cannot sanction your buffoonery." <laughs> for Jim Carrey, it's so amazing. Unfortunately, I didn't see enough a lot about Nicole Kidman in this movie as Doctor Chase Meridian. She uh, was originally considered for the role of Poison Ivy in this film, but they switched the script around so much that um, that role disappeared, and she kind of was recast as Chase, as Doctor Chase Meridian, mm-hmm. uh, who is really just like probably the horniest Batman character. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh! Just like geez louise she really is and i was like you know what on the one hand like good for her i she knew what she wanted and she went after it and she stuck around in the end even though she knew uh but also i'm like wow dude calm down (laughs) it's like you wanted batman then you're like no i'm i'm I want someone else and then you want a Bruce and you're like, oh, okay, well, luckily for you, they're the same person. <laughs> yeah. You lucked out this time. And I think there's actually a part of the movie where she's like, I always date the same type of man and they always like leave me. And it's just, it's just such a funny, like uh manic role, but I, I don't know. Uh, not the most uh, fleshed out role, but I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, the the only like thing that I found about her was on the the Batman wiki where they're saying that her name is like a triple pun. And I was like, I feel like that sounds her name sounds like a pun because like most like Batman Yeah, like a bond like, like a bond. Yeah, yes, woman. exactly. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, apparently her name's like a triple pun and like one of them is just like because she chased after the the halfway point between Bruce and Batman. So it's like chasing the Meridians and some Meridians usually like the midway point. I was Ooh. like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I follow this critic on Letterboxd named Brian Formo. Uh, and he gave this movie three stars and his only re- review that he wrote for it is this is the closest to taking gas station horny pills that I'll ever get. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's oh so my perfect. gosh. It's so hilarious. That was um, great. Speaking of heartthrobs and uh, et cetera, et cetera, we bring in Chris O'Donnell Chris as O'Donnell. Robin Dick Grayson in this film. Um, originally scheduled to appear in the third Burton Batman, uh, just the character of Robin as well as in the uh, first draft of the original 89 Batman with Marlon Wayans said to be attached to the role at some point. There's just been people in and out of the Robin role forever, but he was just never appropriate for any given story until this movie when Joel Schumacher wanted to bring him in. Mm. Uh, Chris O'Donnell reportedly was part of a field of candidates for Robin that included Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Matt Damon, Jude Law, 
you McGregor, Corey Haim, both Corey's, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, uh, Toby Stevens and Scott Speedman. Um, it came, <laughs> it came down to DiCaprio and O'Donnell. And so at a comic book convention, they asked a group of 11 year old boys who would win in a fight and they picked Chris O'Donnell. I mean, I guess, I, I guess he is more well, scrappy yeah, and like, he is yeah. more schoolyard, uh, schoolyard fight, fight confidence. Cause I, especially I cause say. I think wasn't the only, well, most people only knew DiCaprio. Was Titanic out at that time? I don't know, no, but I don't think not no. Okay. I, cause yeah, I mean, if we're talking like what's eating Gilbert grape DiCaprio, I'm like, yeah, of course, cause O'Donnell could like take him. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're, if you're showing kids those two comparisons, I was like, okay, well, yeah, but no, I, I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to have a Ewan McGregor Robin and, you know, like, especially now that we've got him in star Wars, like how wild that have been. That's, Interesting. I can see it. I can see it. I think I can only see it because like Chris O'Donnell's haircut in this movie. Mm. Um, oh they yeah. Have very similar hairstyles and like demeanors. He, I feel like Chris O'Donnell is like the American Hugh McGregor at this point. Um, <laughs> I still I don't know where I'm at on the Chris O'Donnell performance as Robin. Where Where do you land? I honestly didn't. I mean, the younger me was like, oh yeah, he's very cute. So I think <laughs> I was okay with it um adult me i i honestly just don't know who else i could see in the role at this point because the the banter and sort of like the back and forth kind of works with sure. with him uh that like i yeah I, I can't i can't think of it unless you're unless like we're going like maybe like a hayden christensen like young hayden christensen could have oh been. sure but yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm fine with him. I when I was rewatching it for the for the this episode, I was like, yeah, I mean, he still holds up. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Is it the scene? Is it in this movie? Yeah, it's it's in this movie where, like, the only kind of background we get on him being any kind of fighter or, uh, besides, you know, obviously his his circus upbringing with the mm -hmm. flying Graysons, is. Uh, Alfred offering to do his laundry for him, and he's like, "I got it." Oh he yeah, there's that insane <laughs> montage of like flipping his khakis around the dryer line. There was never a time like the '90s for movies where just everything was off the rails, insane. So um, I can say, sorry, going back to your McGregor, I'm on his uh, his wiki, and he didn't really do anything in '94 or '95. I think his his probably like intro to the world was train spotting in 96 right, right. so like yeah he could have he could have probably gotten away with doing batman but then it's like would he have gotten cast in train spotting if he did Batman? yeah <laughs> right and it's like is the, the world we have is probably better the way it is you know? yes this timeline is great for him it's <laughs> there is a timeline in which he was robin though and i wonder how that worked for him <laughs> for me personally i think he might have done better than chris o'donnell but I, it's not that I, it's not that I mind earrings uh, on people. I just the, oh yeah, the, like, the earring attitude doesn't it's really huge. work for Robin, and, and it's, it's huge. So big. <laughs> I was like, I like a crystal wart. On get it? Yeah, I was like, I totally get it because we're in like the mid '90s or whatever, early '90s when He's like got like that was the thing. But man, that thing was giant i was like okay we get it he's got a piercing he's cool <laughs> he rides a motorcycle we understand <laughs> Love it. we have michael go back as alfred pennyworth uh mm -hmm. drew Barry drew barrymore pops in as sugar one of uh sugar and spice mm -hmm. um originally those two henchmen were called uh, leather and lace but the studio thought that was too racy pat ingle back for his third adventure as commissioner gordon it's funny looking back at the commissioner gordons after jeffrey wright in the batman and it's like this this gordon does not even register as like 
a character in the movie and commissioner gordon is just so integral to the batman story yeah that i don't i don't really know what they were doing here but i mean he had more of a role in um in the first in the first burton one so yeah the movie had a budget of 100 million dollars they actually thought this was going to be a, a a complete bomb there's accounts of people saying it's only gonna make like 30 million dollars um and they were surprised to see that it made 336.6 million dollars overall um and uh it kind of loosened up the toy companies a little for the sequel we'll talk a little bit about that but uh rotten tomatoes scores sitting at 39 percent with the critics currently 32 percent with the audience i think this is the first time i've ever seen an audience score lower than a critical score i think the audience score is always uh, yeah at least a little higher it's so weird yeah it's so weird to me too that it hasn't gone up because it's like given the fact that camp is such a huge thing right now that people are into mm-hmm. that like people haven't gone to read like maybe not revisit and reevaluate but like yeah the, seeing that and then also the one for batman and robin um i was like wow okay can uh, so on rotten tomatoes uh i wrote the the like critic consensus things down because i think they're so funny um so this one for this one just says loud, excessively busy, and often boring. Batman Forever nonetheless has the charisma of Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones to offer mild relief. Mild and I was like, relief. wow, <laughs> harsh. Yeah, yeah. I, te- I read though. I tend to agree with that, minus the Tommy Lee Jones part, and I feel bad about it. But I, th- this movie is like, I know you love it. I'm not trying to like harsh. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, this isn't that kind of podcast where I'm just like it ruined my vision. <laughs> Because it definitely does do that, and it definitely has really fun moments. Uh, yeah. I think Jim Carrey. Before I revisited it for this episode, I thought I was like, "Is Jim Carrey super annoying, or is he super great in this role?" And he's kind of like both, uh, but it works for him. But like the Tommy Lee Jones character, I just cannot abide as Two Face. I, I don't know what he, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's going for um, from the get go. I think it's kind of interesting that they have this i like an established relationship like in media res kind of beginning to these kind of things where you know it's batman saying like harvey you're insane like we can help you like there's this established rapport but like it's just going too too much like the adam west batman off the rails a modern sensibility that doesn't work because i love batman 66 and it's all documented it's so it's so fun and it's so good and adam west is such a crazy person Mm -hmm. um but like yeah, I don't want to be too harshly negative. It's just like I th- it's it's it, I I think it's a sensory thing for me, honestly. It's yeah. so it's so loud and they're they're yelling so much <laughs> for so much of the movie yeah. that it seriously like sets off some sort of like sensory thing for me where I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was um, gonna say, I feel like this is like Jim Carrey is just scream acting, which like <laughs> isn't it's not acting. It's like just because you can scream doesn't mean you're a good singer, you know? So right, he's like exactly. he, he's he's really loud and i think the the moment that i was like oh like i forgot was when he <laughs> he hits the it's his boss in the head and just yells caffeine will kill you and it like echoes like 80 <laughs> times and you're like the fact that this scene echoed like 80 times it's kind of loud guys like turn it down <laughs> caffeine will kill you you sit up and you turn it down and you said, I, Jim Carrey, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> I would argue that Tommy Lee Jones is actually yelling like more. More. He's just, yeah. He's, he's yelling and he's delivering his lines at like two times podcast speed. 
where like <laughs> everything he says is just like, and now ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to come in. And, like, it just, it's like, he's like a carnival barker. That's not just yeah. like, it drives me crazy. Um, and I feel like he was just trying to get it over with. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and, and honestly that, that dynamic between Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones made me like it, like probably 20% more. Um, so I have to kind of reassess my Batman rankings because it's just like, man, I, I love that tension there that like these two are hated each other every day and had to like half hate each other and half love each other. Uh, Val Kilmer, not really working for me. Bruce no, Wayne or me Batman. Nope. <laughs> um, he's just a little too soft-spoken and a little mm-hmm. too drawn away from society to be registered even as a character in the movie. You, you feel the same way? I do. Yeah. And I know that like, maybe this is just me nitpicking, but like, I know that Batman's supposed to be like, Oh, or Bruce is supposed to be like, you know, the, the billionaire handsome guy and i'm just like val's like a little too pretty to me <laughs> like sure. i just i just wanted to be like a little bit more like gruff and i i know that's probably not what they were going for but it's like he's got just I, <laughs> I, like watching him i was like oh he's like he's too soft like he's yeah. got <laughs> he's got like the the pillowy lips and like the skin is just so smooth and i'm like i don't like it you look like a ken doll but like i don't know how <laughs> He does have the best bat lips. He does have the best. He does, um, but it's like in, in the mask way. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm They're also just like, mm. yeah. Batman should have such luscious lips. You're too pretty. <laughs> I want some. I want lips that have like taken a few punches, not like yeah, uh, that have, like next up. Uh, but yeah, he's 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 looking good. No offense to Val Kilmer. I love no Val no Kilmer. no. Yeah, exactly. Not, no offense. He's ever been in. Uh, but it it just wasn't doing it for me. The the costume's cool. I like the costume, but I uh, the I don't panther know. suit I think is what they called the uh, the kind of sleek design of the original ones. Like they called the panther suit. Okay, so now we're talking about the suit. Can we talk about the nipples? Because I <laughs> they introduced the the bat nips. Uh, I. At first, like, or, like you know, bat nips are, like, a controversial, like, situation in the Batman suit fandom here. Right. Uh, and I totally get it. Like, no one wants a slightly anatomical correct costume. Except for um, Poison Ivy. Except for Poison Ivy and, and Chase Meridian, because she also touched the bat nips. <laughs> so, like, I get it. Um, but I kind of, I kind of accepted them with the vision that, that Schumacher had, which was, like, the the greek sculpture like the whole greek art situation he oh yeah yeah he really liked that and wanted to model the suits after that and i'm like i get it like i can totally see the vision i understand is it weird it's a little weird but if you think about it from that like artistic perspective where bruce is supposed or batman's supposed to be this like beautiful sort of untouchable thing like it, it it perfectly makes sense and i honestly don't have an issue with them now but before like in the discourse of bat nips i was like uh i get it but and it's kind of weird but... <laughs> i like that phrase um I, and, and the funny thing is like i thought i was watching this movie and i was like man i thought bat nipples were a controversy in batman and robin and like i, I remember them being like a big deal in batman and robin and then i was like they're in this movie though. Yeah, I, they I are. specifically remember them being like, "Oh man, the suit has nipples now," but they definitely have them in Batman Forever. So mm-hmm. I don't know what. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's like a Mandela effect thing, or like I'm, I'm misremembering. But I, I thought that that controversy started with Batman and Robin. So I think you're right. That, yeah. So to have them in this, it's like it, it kind of. I didn't realize that, that 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 history behind it, which is awesome. But like, it just didn't really. I think this movie has bigger problems than nipples. You know, it's like, mm. uh, it's just like it comes down to. 
uh that and like the suit's pretty suit's pretty cool looking what's not cool looking to me at all is the batmobile in this movie oh my gosh i wrote that down too (laughs) it's so bad it's It's hands down the worst batmobile like i I was saying the bat tumbler from the nolan movies was the worst one but now it's definitely this one it's like it does not need neon lights on it it's the batmobile it doesn't need that um it, it just looks so stupid and that like split that split winged bat wing at the top of it that like flops around when it's driving around drives me crazy. Um, yeah, it's not a good design. Uh, and I, and I totally get it from like a toy standpoint. If that's, totally. you know, if that's the point of what they were trying to do with these movies anyway, was to sell toys, like from a toy perspective, cool. But from, yeah, from a film sign perspective, it's not a good, it's not a good car. They really missed the mark on that one. Especially after following the, for the longest time, the coolest Batmobile, the the, the Tim Burton Batman mm-hmm. one, which is like just iconic and nothing has ever been cooler. Um, I do love uh, going in. I do love uh, the intro and it's like the big suiting up montage, which we'll talk about. <laughs> I think we'll talk more about the suiting up montage when we get to Batman and Robin. Um, but the, after this, like, you know, 80s style suit up montage and then. Alfred's like, should I cancel dinner, sir? And he's like, I'll get drive through. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. And I remember that. <laughs> I remember that so specifically from like McDonald's commercials at the time. Or yeah, whatever it was. And I thought, I thought for sure, like just made it for the commercials. And then I remember seeing this movie at Plaza too. I was fifteen. Uh, no, I was thirteen. Um, and I think this is the first movie I remember being like super disappointed by because <laughs> I <laughs> I loved I loved Batman and Batman Returns uh, and I saw them before, way before I was supposed to and like uh, I was so excited I remember being kind of like this that wasn't very good and like that's not like that's not a great thought for a 13 year old to have is like this Batman movie is not very good mm-hmm. so, and I was so shocked that that I remember being so shocked that 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 line was in the movie um, another thing that drives me really crazy about this movie and I promise we'll talk about some things I like about it in a second <laughs> but, uh, the lighting Oh, I don't you know, know if I ever I, paid attention to it. I don't know how you couldn't. <laughs> it's like so crazy. Like it's just everything has like these strobe light, like rock and rock concert, like oh. la- laser laser lighting effects at all times. Um, and I was reading a little bit about that, and that was like purposeful because they wanted to create like more of the rock, like a rock and roll comic book aesthetic, is what they said. Mm. Um, but it's so ugly and obnoxious to me to have like constant like trick lighting in the background and like the question marks projected everywhere and like we're in that we're in in that ball where batman crashes through the ceiling and that guy goes batman yeah laser strobe is it the same guy that at the beginning of batman forever he's like boiling acid it's like, it's like oh my gosh is it yeah. is it the same dude? is it the same the, guy the lighting in both this and the next movie especially with like the black lights drives me so 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 insane like one thing i do like though is the really random like yelling from the extras in this movie and like 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 that security guard he he saves at the beginning who says boiling acid uh and then yeah the batman yeah i think that's the same guy (laughs) it's gotta be right it's an all-timer because it's 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 so loud in the mix <laughs> it's l- louder than shattering glass is this guy that just goes batman it's batman yay, yay. Batman. <laughs> another thing that's great about this movie though we have to talk about is the soundtrack mm. um uh 
I remember being this the soundtrack being the biggest deal of all time when it was coming out. Um, you know, it reached number five on the Billboard Top 200, went two times platinum in the U.S. So it was like this was a huge deal, and only five of the songs are on in the movie itself. Um, and it's such a bizarre collection of like '90s deep cuts, mm-hmm. like PJ Harvey, Mazzy Star, uh, Nick Cave, um, Michael Hutchins from NXS. Sunny Day Real Estate, um, you know, the Flaming Lips song is in the movie for the Riddler. But like, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me was my jam back in the day. <laughs> uh, just like the hand claps in that song, it got me so pumped up and it had this really cool animated video. But the mm-hmm. true banger, we, yep. all know what the, we all know what the true <laughs> banger is. Uh, Kiss from a Rose by Seal is just like, I saw a... a a tweet recently that said that said use use kiss from a rose in another batman movie you cowards <laughs> that <laughs> would be the so most amazing callback <laughs> like those who know know and they would i i probably would lose my shit if kiss from a rose played during the batman i would too i'm not i'm not i'm not even like a huge easter egg guy but if there was some some drop a re- reference to kiss from a rose i would be yeah. like standing on my chair um <laughs> One of the things I was going to have you do for the trials, but I decided against it. Maybe if we, if you come back again, I'll have you do it. But mm-hmm. uh, was I was going to see how far you could get into Kiss from a Rose by oh memory. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I didn't want to spring that on you. I thought that was that was yeah. Really I need, yeah, no, that would have that wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just a really bizarre song. I I don't know if any of the lyrics make any sense. So I was looking at the lyrics the other day because one of my favorite things to play online is um, Star Wars karaoke. Who's singing what? Oh, sure. uh, it's like, I'll just drop it. I was like, all right, guys. Like, I think the first one I did was like, it's 90s night. What, who's singing what? <laughs> and so um, I dropped that question. And then I was like, okay, I'll go first. And then like my favorite one, I was like, um, Kylo Ren is singing Kiss from a Rose because he's just oh, like <laughs> you know he is. yeah like he's just sitting on that little stool with his emo cell singing Kiss from a Rose and everyone's <laughs> like oh my god the lyrics are so perfect for Ray and I was like I know right that's why I said it because <laughs> yeah, I thought about this I know would he be sing would he be singing it with or without his helmet um I feel like he would probably start with the helmet uh, and then once once it gets to that like once it, that chorus drops, he gets Baby really into man. it, yeah. And then he just takes it off, wow. and everyone is just like, "Oh my god, you got him!" <laughs> so stoked. He takes it off and <laughs> smashes it into a wall. Yep, <laughs> so good. Uh, um, man, the lyrics, not- yeah, the lyrics to that song are kind of bizarre if you really read them. But I'm like, I get it. Like, it's beautiful. It's a good song. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say nonsensical because it's just, it's just very, uh, it's just very deep mm-hmm. poetry. Yes, <laughs> sung emotively by our guy, our, our guy Seal. That Offspring song was huge for me. Smash it up. Really, really, really strange times when these music inspired by compilations and soundtracks yeah. came out, and they were like the biggest deals in the world to people. So, the Batman Forever soundtrack is like up there in like the top five movie soundtracks ever for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Plot wise. The movie's kind of all over the place. We're kind of omitting that this week since we have two movies to talk about, but it escalates very quickly. Yeah, it does. (laughs) I guess my parting thoughts on Batman Forever. Really love the Jim Carrey performance. Really like this version of Gotham minus the blacklight stuff. Can do without Val Kilmer as Batman. 
can do without Robin, without Chris O'Donnell as Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could do without all the yelling. <laughs> it's just way too loud. <laughs> so that's that's my parting thoughts on Batman Forever. How about you? Yeah. All right. So let's. I'm gonna go through my little list here because I took notes uh, when I was watching this movie. <laughs> oh, so yeah. just some things. Uh, the costume design of this movie, fantastic. Chef yeah. kiss, like all around. Um, I love uh, Ingrid Farron did the costume design for this and uh batman and robin and i think it, it it's so cohesive and you can tell that maybe they were trying to go for this like overall uh themed franchise because I, I think sure. they blend very well together so yeah good the job being in. Are the best the costumes definitely are like, yeah the, the number one draft pick of like the best parts of this movie mm-hmm. they're so so good um Another thing I wrote down is uh, the introduction of Edward uh, when, you know, Bruce goes into the factory. Um, I I kind of liked it because, like we were talking about, having seen the Batman now and then watching these, I felt like the interaction that uh, Ed has with Bruce is sort of like that one, um, but like toned down obviously because it's more campy but right. especially the part where um in forever when edward says like you were supposed to understand but it, he says oh. it in his like jim carrey but it's still it still had the same sort of like emotion i feel like just mm-hmm. you know um so i thought that was really cool to like have that be something that now i know like the batman sort of maybe kind of took that and um elevated it like obviously the batman it's like way better. I love the John Favreau cameo. If you know, if you've seen oh, him, yeah. he's there. Uh, <laughs> um, practical design, like the set design. Um, that's something that I noticed because some parts of it look small, like very tight. And I'm like, I don't know why they built some of these sets to look so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Claustrophobic. (laughs) Like the, yeah. Like the um, scene where Chase turns on the bat signal and they go up and have that meeting. And Mm. I'm like, they're supposed to be outside. What does this feel like? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) They're inside, but outside. (laughs) It's like, there's like three pillars around them that are like two feet away from them. And they're talking about half an inch apart. And And I'm like, like, you're on a rooftop. It's going to be okay. Like, why is this um, built? And then it pans out to, like, when he jumps down, it pans out to the CGI city. And I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. But, like, I, I'm glad you guys did pr- practical set design for some things. But, like, you could have made right. it look a little less, like, constricting. I don't know. Yeah. And it's funny because this, this is kind of, like, largely a pre-CGI fest. Yes. And it's, like, just the early stages, you know, because, like, Terminator 2 had just come out and blown the doors off the theaters. And, you know, it's, like... So there, people were just kind of starting to integrate it. A large, it's a largely practical Gotham, and that's kind of what I liked about it is like this cobbled together look of it, where it's like forced perspective of giant mm-hmm. statues and things like that. And it's clearly handmade. It's clearly like sets, but it really works in a comic booky kind of way. Yeah. And I've always been really obsessed with like the office that Edward works in, not his like tiny little Riddler office, but like the um like the kind of the at Wayne Enterprises mm-hmm. uh, where that like long development hallway that goes to um, the waterfalls at the end, yeah. with that giant window, just that art deco look taken to like the real cartoony colory nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think I've, I've always really enjoyed the set design in that term, in those terms, but then there are sets in this and in Batman and Robin where it looks like they took about five minutes to throw it together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was going to talk about one specifically in Batman and Robin, but I'm glad you brought it up now. Cause it definitely, it definitely pertains to both movies where it's like, it works because it's kind of a marvel of practical effects, but mm-hmm. then at the same time, there's stuff that some stuff that just didn't age as well as it could have. Yeah. Um, it, it just kind of threw me. I was like, they're outside, right? But it looks like they're inside. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then the last thing I'll say about this is that um, this movie brought to my attention what I now will call the black turtleneck cinematic universe. And it's <laughs> every Bruce Wayne wears a black turtleneck. And then I was like, oh, he didn't wear one in the Batman. So now I think that's my only complaint about the Batman is that there was no black turtleneck to be seen. <laughs> And oh I would, <laughs> I'd like the black turtleneck edit, please. Thank you. Wow, it went from 100 down to 99. No longer <laughs> a perfect score. That's so true. Yeah. What's your favorite black turtleneck out of all of them? Um. Oh man, I weirdly enough, uh, I liked the way that it was styled best in this one with his blazer. Oh. Um. But I do think George Clooney knows how to pull off. A turtleneck like that was great that was such a great like just a visual for me it's like uh, oh my god yeah george clooney can pull off pretty much anything yeah think, so. yeah 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 um uh, i even like looked i was like i, I googled like <laughs> batman like black turtleneck and like all these pictures <laughs> came up and i was like yeah okay so there's like a, it's like a whole thing he just wears a black <laughs> turtleneck like even little kid bruce in gotham has turtlenecks and i'm like wow this is amazing and then i was <laughs> then it made me think of archer and the whole tactile neck situation oh, I love, so I love it. <laughs> I wonder but, yeah. if Matt Reeves. I wonder if Matt Reeves and 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 pitching this was like this is my darker vision of Batman. There will be no turtlenecks. <laughs> no turtlenecks. My uh, friend was like, he hasn't earned one yet. He has to go outside and be yeah. a member of society first. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so the black turtleneck's like a rite of passage. He has that's to like. Second, that's the third one in the trilogy. Is yeah. Like the final thing that happens, and you're like, yes, he finally yeah, got his, he black, gets turtleneck. his black turtleneck. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think my favorite black turtleneck was uh, is Michael Keaton, uh, Batman Returns. But yeah, speaking of George George Clooney in, in black turtlenecks. Uh, hey. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. George Clooney. Juliana, the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't doesn't quite cover it. O'Donnell. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about Batperson? Found the Batcave. She knows who we are. Guess we just have to kill her. Yep. In Joel Schumacher film. Courage. Partners. Honor. Partners. And loyalty. Partners. It all comes together. We're going to need a bigger cave. Batman and Robin. After Batman Forever Success, Joel Schumacher wanted to do essentially the dark night and he wanted it to be very dark and he remember 
He says, I remember going on the set of Face Off and asking Nick Cage to play the Scarecrow. Oh, my God. Whoa. Like, yes, please. I want that movie. I want that movie as almost as much as I want that Same. Billy D. Williams. I want that movie almost as I want much as I want the Billy D. Williams um, Two Face that you know Tim Burton was building up to. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, he says, you know, the studio and uh, I'm not sure the audience was in a frame of mind to go too dark with Batman at the time. Uh, it's interesting how our culture has changed. He says how the socioeconomic political culture makes it absolutely palatable to see Chris Nolan's Batman. For instance, The Dark Knight Rises, which is such a comment on exactly what's happening. You might be able to track that on all the movies. Maybe Batman is one of those things like pie. It's the center of the universe from, you know, Joel Schumacher is not like everyone just kind of writes him off as this schmuck because of these two movies. But like he he's made some great movies in his day and he was a legend and he, he was a smart guy and he knew what he's doing. He just made these interpretations of Batman that people like were not really into. And it is funny to think about these in terms of what Batman like kind of has to be now. You cannot go backwards from Batman and Robin. You have to go into the, the Nolan trilogy and you have to go into the Batman because mm-hmm. you know, the pendulum, the pendulum started like at the center with Tim Burton's Batman, which was dark. And then it kind of swung super dark with Batman returns. And they're like, Whoa, 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 we'll bring it back. So it swung to Batman forever, which was like lightly campy. And then he's like, like Oh, people like that. So it went super campy and they're like, Whoa, people don't like that at all. And so it swung all the way back to super dark and gritty and realistic, which was then too realistic. So now it's like kind of centered back again in that like really nice space of like heightened reality, but like not too far afield from reality to where it becomes camp. Um, and so I just, it's just funny to watch that bat- Batman pendulum swing so much. Um, but you know, ironically, Batman is the movie after he said that Batman is the center of the universe, Batman and Robin is the movie that dislodged the dark Knight from the center of the universe for eight long years. Um, after the surprise success of Batman forever, the toy companies that shied away from Batman products post Batman returns were chomping at the bit to hop back on the bat gravy train, creating a movie experience that felt more like a toy commercial than a superhero film. Um, but I think that Batman and Robin um, has been reclaimed a little bit more, even so than Batman forever. I don't know if you, you get that feeling at all, but like, I think it's kind of gone and it's ridiculousness has kind of gone all the way back around mm-hmm. to appreciate it because it's so insane that um, I think, you know, it's definitely not good, but it's like really highly enjoyable and fun to watch. I, I don't know. You, I know that you, you like these movies, but do you, would you agree with that? Um, yeah. I will say though, like Batman and Robin is, is probably the only one where I sort of kind of tune out at some parts and I feel like maybe it's just a little too long. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's like too long. It's, it's clocking over at over two hours. Um, and I'm just like, this is like, we, we didn't need all of this. So yeah. like, there are definitely some parts where I zone out a little bit um, because it's just like, what is this kind of like filler? Um, but I do think, you know, out of the two, it is far more like ridiculous and campier than, um batman forever and i think that with the current resurgence of of everyone sort of loving batman again i think it's gonna yeah i think you're right it's definitely gonna come back and like be like a fan favorite i'm sure right because there's just so much to appreciate about appreciate about it it's ridiculousness and there are some really poignant like batman moments um that you know we'll get to but you know but in terms of it's uh some facts about the movie itself. Batman and Robin was released on June 12th, 1997. Um, part of the reason it's so wild is because it had kind of this ticking clock um, working against it where 
Batman Forever came out in 95 and they had two years to make a sequel with these huge elaborate sets and lighting and costumes and everything. So, you know, Joel Schumacher was kind of working against the clock from the, from the start. Um, written by Akiva Goldsman. Now, I think now with Akiva Goldsman having the sole writing credit on this, it's time to go into some of the things that um, he has written. <laughs> and it's completely insane that um, he has uh, done what he's done. So let's talk about some of the things he's written. He's <laughs> written uh, The Client, A Time to Kill, Practical Magic, A Beautiful Mind, I, Robot, Cinderella Man, The Da Vinci Code, I Am Legend, Angels and Demons, the sequel to The Da Vinci Code, um, The Divergent series, Insurgent. Um, oh. <laughs> he's like, he's this, and he's, then what? For, uh, he's produced a ton of movies as well, but then he's written a ton of episodes of the show Fringe, uh, a ton of episodes of Star Trek Discovery, wow. um, a, tons of episodes of Star Trek Picard, and then uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, he's just like this super accomplished, prolific yeah. writer. And then he wrote a movie with arguably the worst dialogue of all time. It's completely insane and off the rails. Um, it's just really funny to me to, to think that uh, he's responsible for this and partly of Batman Forever. Uh, but I wonder uh, how much studio interference there was then. I'm like, maybe it's not him. <laughs> I from what I've read, from what I read, it seemed like they had like kind of carte blanche to do whatever they wanted since Forever did so well. Wow. But they, I mean, they wanted it to be campier and sell more toys. So I'm sure that that definitely pinned him down in certain parts. But like, I, I, I really don't know. Music once again by Elliot Goldenthal. Again, the score just kind of barely there, you know. And this time, Val Kilmer left because he just wasn't into it. Basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, went on to do um, the Island of Doctor Moreau just simply because Marlon Brando was in it. But you know, so they bring in George Clooney. At the time, George Clooney's star power had not really reached full maximum potential yet he was kind of a newcomer still from like er and everything i just thought this quote was really blunt and weird and funny but joel schumacher said i went to the valley where george lived with his pig and his great friends and we said let's do it <laughs> <laughs> he lived where he lived with his pig and his great friends what does that mean uh i picture it's like a it's like a babe scenario yeah where george just living with a bunch of talking animals uh, <laughs> you know, and then Chris O'Donnell back again as Robin brought in Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl slash Barbara Wilson. We'll talk more about her in a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, apparently, though, faced tons of like body shaming and like super early 90s, like body shaming from people on the set, from costume designers and things like that, because they considered her like plus size at the time. There was a bunch of like drawings that circulated on the set of her like cramming into her Batgirl costume. So she, so she faced like a lot of harassment on the set. So I think that that would not have fared very well for a sequel for her in that case because everything i read she was like super over it and it's like it's alicia silverstone she's uh cut her some slack she's the best but uh also not great in this movie no <laughs> so, <laughs> um she has some of the most hilarious parts and lines and some of the most like i mean almost like clueless style uh yeah. like, dit ditzy moments <laughs> yeah where specifically i'm thinking about when she joins them in the batgirl costume uh, she, he's like what are you what's your name and she's like I'm Batgirl. He's like, couldn't you think of something a little bit more PC, like Batwoman? And he's like, uh, yeah. Batperson. Yeah, she goes, Bruce, it's me, Barbara. He knows. <laughs> like, he gets that. <laughs> but she's just like, it's me, don't you know? And like, he's like, kind of joking around with her. And she's like, Bruce, you, you silly Billy. Uh, and then where we really get into uh, star power territory is 
Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze slash Dr. Victor Freeze scored $25 million for the role, was in the movie for 25 minutes, so he was making a million dollars a minute. Constantly had celebrity visitors on set bringing him gifts, such as John Bon Jovi himself bringing him Cuban cigars uh, that he wanted to use for his character. So he had them spray painted white so he could smoke them all on screen. Um, my, my favorite uh, part was all the crazy lighting and LEDs on Mr. Freeze's costume, which his costume is amazing. Yes. I love this Mr. Freeze costume. It's iconic. It's so cool. But the lighting rig, they even made his teeth light up, but they had to have like an LED lighting rig in his mouth. But the first version of it would constantly melt in his mouth and leak battery acid Oof. down his throat. The person recalling this part of the story so that he cut, he was running around always going, it tastes like shit. What's in my mouth? And just, <laughs> I'm just picturing Arnold Schwarzenegger just spitting out battery acid going, it tastes like shit. It's like the funniest thing in the world. So <laughs> as, as someone that loves costume design, this is, yeah. is this like, is, does this uh, rank up there with one of the best? This costume is so cool. Yeah, it's one of the ones where uh, I would definitely look more into like how it was made, um, and I and I don't know if maybe there's some special feature situation out there that I could look up, but yeah, like I I would love to know how they did that because it it also moves really well too, and it's like totally. what what were y'all doing in the '90s? Let's like yeah. how'd you do that? <laughs> It's like, cause, you know, we look at now things to just CGI or like we have so many good um, like workshops and places that can do this stuff. But it's like 97 was we were barely getting started. And it's like that costume right. just it works. And it it's yeah, it's really cool. And I always loved the LED mouse situation. I didn't oh, yeah. like I didn't get it. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. we needed it. But I was like, right, oh, right. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and I'm like, was it specifically for that one shot in the end? Is that why you did it? Because <laughs> like, I hope, I hope so. Yeah, because it's a really good shot when he's like standing in the prison, um, from like in the dark, and you just see him lit up. But all, like his mouth is just like it's so cool. It's such a good shot. And I'm like, if that's why you did it, like kudos, thanks. Because I like that's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in the movie. It's so easy to make fun of Arnold in this role, but I honestly think it's awesome. I think it's. I think he's so good. If he's getting that twenty-five million dollars, he's making the most of it. Yeah. Because they're making him do some insane, insane things, and like all the obviously all the puns. My favorite Mister Freeze quip is he says, "If revenge is a dish best served cold, then put on your Sunday finest. It's time to feast." <laughs> and it's so it's like such a long walk for a, for a catchphrase. It is. It it's is. Like, you, you could have just gone with "Revenge is a dish best served cold," but. You, they have like five extra beats to it, but it's so worth it. And then I also love uh, make sure to winterize your pipes. Uh, mine is sort of in the same same thing where it's when he says, "All right, everybody, chill," but then he just keeps saying "chill" as he like oh, yeah. <laughs> shoots people, and you're like, "We get it, oh, you s- <laughs> sweet summer child." Like we understand, but he's just like, totally. "Chill, chill, <laughs> chill," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. It is like two minutes of like every person he, t- he talks to. It's, it's completely absurd. Um, and another another great one is. Uh, you know what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice, <laughs> the Age. Ice Age. It's so crazy. Like, why? Wh- wh- why say that? that's like not a cool thing to say? 
I know um, it's probably not true, but I love that the idea, this is totally not like a quip or anything, but I love the idea that um, whenever he breaks into a place, he has to remember to freeze the ground so that his goonies could skate in. <laughs> the hockey team <laughs> the from hockey hell? The hockey team from hell, yeah. Because I'm like, I'm like, they're on roller, they're on ice skates. So it's like, do you have to remember <laughs> to like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, they're, they're just like cutting through uh, yeah. ceramic tile. Like, Oh, we're really frozen <laughs> the ground first. Um, another uh, crazy thing about that is that Batman and Robin have ice skates. Like they didn't yeah. know about <laughs> they didn't know about Mister Freeze before they showed up. In fact, Commissioner Gordon says there's a new villain in town. That's like one of his lines. Is there's a yeah. new villain? His name is Mister Freeze. It's like <laughs> yeah. I I kind of like it though because that reminds me of Batman sixty six in a way where it's like totally. you're just getting that like commissioner gordon voice where it's like batman and it's like just you know the exposition and totally. i get it <laughs> and, and it's it's I'm, I'm i'm half making fun of it half loving yeah it. and i i don't know what the difference is between this and like i think it's just you know there's there's yelling in this movie but i think arnold's yelling is more soothing than maybe tommy lee jones or something i'm not sure what's going on but like it totally is like way more campy in a fun way but there are a lot more parts that are drawn out but like Arnold has these moments. Um, there's a part where the sc- it's completely black behind him, and he's holding like the um, music box of his wife mm-hmm. in Arkham, and it's really touching. It's strangely touching, and that reminds me of Batman sixty six too. Um, if you go back and listen to that episode, Paul and I are talking about how in the Batman sixty six movie, there's parts of weird like there's these weird like morose stretches or kind of like parts that kind of pull on your heartstrings a little bit and this is a part where it's like you know it's not tapping into any like true emotion where you're like going to fall apart right it's a moment where arnold is like earning that paycheck by actually acting and like look the way he's staring at that music box is is touching and it's well, it's, it's you can't really avoid that it also and i and i think I think the animated, yeah, the animated series came first, but the um, Heart of Ice episode, that's pretty much, yeah, it's, it definitely sort of reminds me of that, where you've got that, that whole scene too. Um, And there's, there's this really good, um, uh, there's like this whole run of Batman story, Batman universe stories written by YA authors. And there's a really good uh, Victor Freeze one that I really enjoy and I'm like that kind of also kind of tugs at your heart chains a little bit. He's a really he's a really cool villain. Yeah, they they definitely did a good job of balancing the comedy or I, I mean, yeah, I mean it's comedy but it's also just like Arnold being Arnold, I feel like. <laughs> wild. <laughs> but like it's really wild. Yeah, like they did a good job of of saying like, "Hey, like you can do do this and be you, but like, you know, we got to show that sensitive side too. And, and, and I think it works really well. Cause yeah, you're yeah. right. You do kind of feel like you kind of feel for him, even though like most of the time he's making puns and <laughs> I love the part when he like freezes his goon and he's like, I hate when people interrupt the movies and he just keeps <laughs> watching the movie. And I'm like, Oh, that's it. I thought he was going to do something else. And he's just like, he's like, don't interrupt me. I'm having yeah. quality time with my life. <laughs> like, part where he's watching like heat miser, snow miser. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's like conducting the goons. He's uh-huh. like, sing, sing, sing. <laughs> it's so wild. Turns the snow in my Come on, sing. <laughs> Louder, come on, sing, 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 come on, yes, come on, louder. Uh, 
I really love Arnold in this movie. For the movie he's in, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, he's extremely over the top, but he's crushing it in every conceivable way. Just like Uma Thurman as Poison mm-hmm. Ivy uh, slash Dr. Pamela Isley. Um, yeah. She said she was drawn to the role because of the femme fatale portrayal of the character. And I, I absolutely love how she kind of t- starts as this mousy scientist character and then she just becomes this like oozing sex symbol she turns into like barbara stanwick or like greta garbo now see here boys like this kind of like femme fatale accent and she it's i feel like it's always more fun to play the villain but she's having the time of her life playing playing poison ivy uh what are your thoughts on uma thurman in this movie um she's my favorite out of i think over the two movies that we've seen (laughs) that we know that we're talking about she's incredible um whenever I think of like a Batman uh, like moment, if you will, it's, it's her. Um, And it's down to her performance. It's down to her costume design and like the way that she is presented. Um, Someone made a really cool comparison um, to the fact that throughout the movie, she transitions sort of like how flowers transition and I think that's really cool. I, I didn't even think about that until I was like looking more into it and uh, that intentional of like being like birthed, uh, being reborn and then um, wilting in jail and everything like that, just based on how she looks like it, her hair changes her outfit her makeup. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite parts actually is <laughs> when she interrupts the, um, the charity thing and she has her like auction speech and it's just so packed of like sexual innuendos and you're like yes oh, yeah. thank you <laughs> pamela for coming in <laughs> mm. why not send junior home early i've got some wild oats to sow on the other hand youth does have its advantages endurance stamina forget the geriatric bat come join me my garden needs tending i'll take it from here pal wouldn't you like the earrings too some lucky boys about to hit the honeypot i'll include an evening of my company for the winner i'll bring everything you see here Plus, everything you don't. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, do it. <laughs> yes, Pamela. <laughs> I um, love it. And I'm like, and I totally understand, like, maybe they didn't want to go super sexual like Catwoman, but it, it makes sense because they're not the same type of, like, sexual energy, I feel like. Um, and and Pamela is on a whole different different plane when it comes to, like, you know, Catwoman is Catwoman. We know the type of sexuality and, like, um, how she is with Bruce not so much Pamela but like the way that she's comfortable in her sexuality is completely different the way than Catwoman is and I and I you could tell um and I really respected that they still let her do that like they let they let a female character villain even though it's a villain (laughs) um like use use that and that's totally her thing using her her body and her femininity and her um like powers if you will 
to just basically control these men. It's it's super cool, and I and I and I kind of love that. That's <laughs> that's the plot of this movie. Is oh, yeah. <laughs> Poison Ivy is using her toxins to basically <laughs> control D- Dick Grayson? <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> it's so bizarre. <laughs> you said there was parts that like you're talking about where you kind of tune out. I think on the fourth like Bruce Dick Grayson conversation, we're like. She's controlling us. Yes. He's like, no, she's not. <laughs> about, about the fourth conversation yeah. with that, I'm like, can I, I'll just tune back in when uh, when, when they start realigning satellites in yes. space. I'll, I'll check back in, in, yeah. in with y'all. Oh, the part uh, where she's like, where, where I think he says, like, the signal's on and it's for me. Like, Pam, Ivy turned it on for me or something. Yeah, I tune yeah. out that too. I'm like, we get it. Like, come yeah. on. Like, but, just get uh, <laughs> I do love, this is like, Probably the closest portrayal, like comic book portrayal of a villain in any of the Batman movies. Yeah. Like full stop, not just these ones, but like any of them that have ever been created. This is probably the closest from screen to comic book character that Mm -hmm. that translation is there. So like just really works in every regard. And she's great. And her and her mission makes sense. You know, her mission is like you're ruining this planet with coolants and diesel fuel. Um, You know, Bruce kind of is the is the enemy in that regard because he's like people come first. But yeah. um, He's killing the the environment around them. It's very topical. Yeah, she's she's wonderful in this. I just I, I I'll always love Uma Thurman in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the Four Timers Club. It's Michael Go and Pat Hingle, uh, Alfred and Commissioner Gordon. Again, they're the only ones that are in all four uh, like pre Nolan movies from Batman '89 up to Batman and Robin. Michael Go finally gets his round. Michael Go finally gets a go at it. I guess you could say where he gets the actual like storyline and yeah, arc, which is like <laughs> not the best, but at, at the same time he's got some of the best scenes in the movie and he's just so charming and, and such a perfect Alfred. Um, and then, and then yeah, Rotten Tomato score, 12%, 12% with the critics, 16% with the audience score. So a slightly higher audience score, but I'm not sure how much that counts for when it's 16%, but yeah. Um, yeah. So tough time. The critic consensus for this one oh, yeah, you was uh, Joel Schumacher's tongue-in-cheek attitude hits an unbearable limit in Batman and Robin, resulting in a frantic and mindless movie that's too jokey to care much for. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think I agree with this one. Like, like I was saying, like I tu- I tune out way more in this one than I do with any other. I mean any of the older ones there's some of the newer ones where i'm like i just can't (laughs) i'm not into it but but uh yeah but i do stand by saying that it's way more campier than forever but it's just there's something about it where it's like i tune out and tune back in at the same spots every time and i guess that's just yeah i think i think just like pound for pound for how ridiculous this one one is i would watch this one probably like 10 times out of 10 over Batman forever at this point. Uh, maybe there's another point where I watch Batman forever again, but mm-hmm. um, I might need some sort of like medication before I do that <laughs> to help me in terms of what's going on in this movie. Um, completely uh, unhinged intro- yep. introduction of Batgirl uh, <laughs> where it's just like, she's Alfred's uh, American niece from London. That's Alfred's like 90 years old in this movie. And like, so his sister's, <laughs> got to be close in age but she's like 18 like it's nothing here is making sense and her whole journey through the movie is completely crazy down 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 to when she like finds her way into the the bat cave and there's like the that like max headroomy like version of alfred that's like intruder alert intruder alert and like <laughs> he prepared a batgirl costume for just in case it's 
completely wild. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. It really um, doesn't. The one thing that I would be remiss in if I didn't talk about, and I got to make my boy Paul proud, probably one of the most accurate depictions of the Alfred and Batman relationship and a really good distillation of why Batman works so well in a little conversation between the two of them. It comes in the form after a fight with, with Robin. Alfred, my pig headed? Is it, is it always my way or the highway? Are you yes, actually. Death and chance stole your parents. But rather than become a victim, you have done everything in your power to control the fates. For what is Batman, if not an effort to master the chaos that sweeps our world? An attempt to control death itself. Uh, he says, but I can't, can I? And he's, Alfred says, none of us can. Mm-hmm. And that's like, if that's not the whole Batman experience, I don't know what is, because it's just, it's essentially like trauma blown up in, to an outrageous extent where yeah. he's such an anxious and damaged person from this this event that he's just... He's like Anakin. He's trying to control death, you know, and he, mm-hmm. it's what dri- it's what drives him to be deranged. Him not wanting it to ever happen to anybody again, and it's just funny that something that's like so poignant and so or, or like so hitting the nail on the head with Batman is in the most ridiculous movie of all time that like mm. killed the franchise. So there's there's good to it, you know. Again, just like Anakin, there's good to it still. It's got this really poignant thing, but it also has bat butt, you know. It's mm-hmm. also like <laughs> it also zooms in in these these montages. <laughs> it ling- lingers for probably like 30 seconds too long or yeah maybe not maybe not long enough it feels that <laughs> way yeah it's like just when they're gearing up in the bat costumes it's like just freeze frames on their butts and it's like what's going on yeah every uh, scene is in tune to like it's it's in sync with like this this noise so like every time the noise hits it's a different transition of the body but with the butt ones it <laughs> It almost feels like, and I thought about this while it was happening. I'm like, do they, do they like think that the butts are doing like a little jiggle because like <laughs> they're pu- they're they're pulling it up, and I'm like, are we supposed to see like this butt action? Because it's just it's just a butt in, in rubber, it's just a butt. It's in a rubber, butt in <laughs> yeah, in it's silence, exactly, complete silence, and it's it lingers, like, and it's so and it's, weird, <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then they turn around and it's like the crotch shot but obviously it's the belt shot we're supposed to be like looking at the belt but it's like no i just see the bulge like yeah, the ken the ken doll belt the bulge um yes. it's it's so bizarre and then like just when you think you know two two's two's not enough we get one with barbara and it's the same except for hers is like maybe a little bit longer <laughs> Yeah, check this out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then we get her boobs because that's uh, uh, yeah, because lady, I don't know, because the nineties, yeah, uh, everything's just like hypersexual. It's just so, it's just so funny. It really, it really sets the tone for what you're getting yourself into. Mister Freeze's, I want to talk about Mister Freeze's plan in this movie because it's fucking insane. <laughs> it doesn't, it makes no sense, and not even in like in a deranged supervillain way, because his his plan is to get enough of enough diamonds to power a freeze ray to freeze gotham to hold it ransom to get money <laughs> to do research like where's the money everything's frozen 
<laughs> everyone that you would get money from is frozen and then you think they're gonna let you do research after like you just froze everybody and then the funniest thing in the world to me that happens is when they reverse the freezing of gotham at the telescope is they harness the power of the sun through <laughs> mirrors like it wouldn't just like fry everybody in gotham <laughs> I, I feel like it should be like complete and utter destruction of gotham when that happens it's all over the place it's really wild he could have easily just maybe robbed the bank and like yeah. cut out, like cut out all of the middle stuff, and then just just go get the money. And, sell the or, diamonds, or sell yeah, sell the diamonds, <laughs> you're, or you're, you're stealing valuable things that can be sold <laughs> for money for research without freezing the whole city that's supposed to give you the money to do it. Here's the thing with George Clooney. Like I said, his star was kind of on the rise. How could you say no to this ever? Right. And I really think that George Clooney is doing the best he can with what he's got. I don't think he's a bad Batman or Bruce Wayne. I just think he's a very mediocre of both. But it's George Clooney, so he's always very charming in mm-hmm. anything. And I do kind of like that he's the only Batman that's like Bruce Wayne and Batman is the same kind of voice. It's just like <laughs> he's just George Clooney as both. He's just George Clooney, yeah. I think he's having a lot of fun with it. And I think that him at this stage of his career, you know, playing hockey with a diamond, He's probably like, this is great. I, I never know if I'll never be a star again after this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm huge on e- he's huge on ER and people love him, but like, you never know. There's so many TV stars that don't transition very well to movies. Um, so it's like you're asked to play Batman, you're gonna do it, and it's like, I don't know. It it looked like a really really fun movie to make. It seemed like it it wasn't like one of those disaster like hell sets where people were like miserable the whole time. It's like everyone was ha- having having fun. Yeah, it's just a really bizarre result. I liked his. I liked his um, like quips with Robin and Alfred a little bit more. I think too, um, yeah. Like the the one line, like this is why Superman works alone. Like yeah. <laughs> these like yeah. these like one liners that he has. And I'm like, yeah, it, the delivery is a little dry, but like it's it's it works for me, and it works like coming from him. Um, it, yeah, I think I think George Clooney did a good job. Is he my favorite? Uh, no, but um, he. He was he was enjoyable to watch. Is he my favorite either? No, but is he <laughs> is, is he my least favorite? Absolutely no, not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's got a real you know he's got a real like Danny Ocean vibe in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's just it's George Clooney. He's cool no matter Clooney. what. No harm, no foul. This didn't kill his career by any means. It definitely reset Batman and put Batman in like Batman jail for eight years. What do you, what else do you have to say about Batman and Robin? I don't I don't know. Um, um let's see. We covered a lot. Oh so two things. One, I love the um the Batman credit card that he just like pulls out. Oh yeah, totally. Because it's like first of all, sir <laughs> Yeah. It's, it says Batman on it, and then it says Forever, which I think is a great yeah. I think that's date. so great yeah. Forever, like Batman Forever. I totally love that. Oh great. Um, but I love that the discourse behind it is that it wouldn't make sense for him to have a card because it's like, well, where are the funds coming from? Unless he created a separate banking account for <laughs> Batman, <excited>. like <laughs> as Batman, and, and it's not coming out of a Bruce Wayne account. Totally. Um, and so, and I'm like, yeah, you guys are absolutely correct. How does he have, how does he have this card um, <laughs> that has, I, I guess, what, more than $7 million on it, apparently. But I wonder what uh, Batman's credit score is. It's probably like 592 or something. He's just like building credit back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Paying off, paying off all the gadgets, but it's just like, it's, it's just crushing his score. <laughs> um, and then uh, one of the fun facts that I found is that this was the first 
Batman movie to not be nominated for an Oscar, but it did have 11 Razzie nominations, which Aww. I think is hilarious. That's funny. That's so good. <laughs> it's like you get yeah. not one good one, but you got 11 Razzies. Good job. All the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's the easy target. It's it the is. easy one to make fun of. <laughs> I have a lot of good memories with it. Probably deserving of that 16% Rotten Tomatoes score, but uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a lot of fun, and I, I don't think we should take ourselves too seriously with stuff right. like this. So it's just it kind of plays in like the Batman thing, how there's like some of the discourse around it is like, oh, I can't believe that this is the adult cinema that we have now is Batman. It's like I don't think that that really plays into it. Everybody, everyone, relax a little bit. It doesn't have to be cinema to be enjoyable. It doesn't have to be the savior of everything. It can just be an enjoyable really well-made movie and that's what i think the batman is people just take things so damn seriously i think that about wraps it up the schumacher years of batman with uh, batman forever and batman and robin i think it's time to face the trials let the trials commence this week on the trials, we're going back to our traditional off the bat game that we'll play with Ren here in a second. But something I'm adding just for this in a post the Batman world, you know, we had Aaron Eckhart recently as Two-Face and obviously Paul Dano as the Riddler. Uh, Matt Reeves expressed interest in doing a realistic Mr. Freeze story. And then, you know, Poison Ivy, I think, could find her way into the Battenson universe my question for you is who do you think would be a good Mr. Freeze and who would be a good poison Ivy in this, in this, in this world? Oh man. Okay. So I'm going to, okay. <laughs> this is so hard. Cause I'm, hard. I'm going to try, I'm going to try not to think about like the whole no wrong answers. how old people are in the, in the, yeah. in the Just franchise. Cause yeah, I think I'm going to either, can I pick two? Like I'd be happy. Oh, with yeah, either one. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, either. I think Christoph Waltz would be really interesting to oh. see. In a lot of the movies that I've seen him in where he plays a bad guy, it just, he does it so well. And I think that he could be the same level of like slightly terrifying as Paul Dano was, uh, is as the Riddler. Um, just sort of like that sneaky kind of, kind of creepy in a way. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think that could work. So he'd be my first pick. And then if maybe not him, then um Ben Mendelssohn would be really interesting too. I mean, put uh, Ben Mendelssohn in everything, please. Everything, yeah, him. like everything. Please, thank you. <laughs> um yeah, like if if I can't have Christoph Waltz, I think Ben Mendelssohn could do it. Uh I, I think those yeah. are wonderful choices. Those are great. Yeah. I think that's really good. What about Poison Ivy? Um okay. Also hard, but I think my top pick, just because a lot of things that I've seen in recently have been winners for me, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, I think, would be really interesting I mean, to see. it doesn't get better than that. It, yeah, I, I think, oh man, she she deserves a shot to be... <laughs> I'm I'm choosing to <laughs> that uh that freaking X-Men movie doesn't doesn't work for her. I <laughs> I did was not like that Mutants? one. The Nubians did not Mutants, Yeah. That, that that wasn't giving her a fair chance at being in a comic book movie. And I hope that didn't ruin her chances of being in a comic book movie. Um but I yeah, she oh man, she would she would kill it. Um and again, if not her 
then I'm going to go Natalie Dormer also because of things that I've seen her in. I, I liked, and I think she has the attitude and the right, just like she has that face, you know, like <laughs> every time I see her, I'm like, Oh man, she just looks like she's, she'll, she'll like, just like snap my neck. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, she's very, a very beautifully intimidating woman. Uh, and I think that she could also do the part justice. The two that I have, one, the first one is kind of intermediate. I thought Brian Cranston would be good. He was um, on my, he was up there for me too. I think it might be a little too close of a call of like a evil chemist, evil yeah. scientist. You know, it's like a little like been there, done that for him. So maybe, maybe a little too recognizable too. There's like this like weird X factor of like why he wouldn't be good too. Um, but then I thought Jude Law like oh. current current jude law in like a in like a gritty noir style mr freeze which like that the thought of that alone excites me of just mr freeze in this kind of noir setting mm-hmm. more grounded version what does that look like how cool would that be to have a little bit of like this like sci-fi element to this more grounded realistic version of of batman uh i just think jude law might be really fun because he can he can do mechanical and calculating really well yeah and but he could also would have a lot of you know pathos because he's I don't know he's got those beautiful eyes. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, my two choices for Poison Ivy are um, Jesse Buckley. I'm picturing less of like a femme fatale uh, Poison Ivy, and more of like a fringe environmentalist mm. in this kind of universe where it's just like poisoning the water supply and things like that with toxins and things like that from her botany experiments and not so much like a controls plants but maybe someone that's like her modus operandi is like ever well, they call her poison ivy because she's creating these toxins in her lab etc cetera, etc cetera. so that way but then i thought if we for a more like femme fatale version i think maybe uh lupita nyango might be cool oh uh, just after seeing us i want her yeah. to play more like villainous kind of disturbed characters she just was so 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 good in that movie I just I think Lupita Nyong'o as as Poison Ivy might be might be dope, and then the game we've been playing with everyone in this Batman series so far, we'll try to do like a lightning round version of it. We're calling it off the bat, but it's just the best and worst quick gut check going oh through different <laughs> different parts of. Uh, be, it's going to be all right. Um, different <laughs> different parts of uh, different um, aspects of the Batman movies, um, and just picking the best and worst. We say worst meaning like. The one you like the least. It doesn't be like it's the worst ever, but just the one you like the least. But okay, okay let's start with best Bruce Wayne. Best is oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay. Um. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to just like keep saying. Oh, the, the Robert, Batman oh, is included. Though, yeah. So okay. Batman yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go for me. I'm gonna just say Robert Pattinson. Yeah. I think he's. He's. The only one so far, like in the newer ones at the very least, where I've just been like, I can I can tolerate this. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh what about worse Bruce Wayne? Uh oh man. Okay. Uh <laughs> this is hard. Where's Bruce Wayne? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with and maybe it's controversial, but Christian Bale. But only because I just can't I tried watching those, and I I can't get into him as Batman at all. <laughs> you're in you're in um you're in friendly you're in friendly waters because okay this, this, is, a, this is a very Christian Bale is overrated as Batman. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Um, so best Batman. Best Batman. Um, best Batman. Best Batman. Uh, oh God, I don't know. there's a Robert Pattinson again. I guess. That's fine. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right now I'm kind of in agreement. So, uh, worst Batman. It's a toss-up for me between uh, Bell and Affleck, honestly. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's a tie. They're a tie. I know that's cheating, but. <laughs> No, that's fine. This is a completely made up exercise. So okay, cool. Kidding. All right. Best bat suit. Um, best bat suit. Uh, I'm just gonna say Adam West. I don't know. There's something classic about it that I really love. Oh yeah. Yeah. Love it. Uh worst bat suit. Um the uh the ice one that they wear in oh. Batman and Robin. Very specific. Yeah, it, it's that specific one. Just because the highlights of like what's supposed to be like the icy parts is so bizarre to me. Yeah, like the white, the white, <laughs> the white like crotch. It's like it's on the crotch. It's on like it's it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, best Batmobile. Uh, the Batman. The and honestly, it's that intro scene with when they revealed that car. <laughs> When they were I, it up. Yes. I felt it in my bones. I, I oh I'm God. so glad I saw that movie by myself because I like the way that I viscerally reacted to the, the Batmobile, just like, oh man, there that what a great intro to the Batmobile. When it's just charging up in the in the in the oh darkness gosh. there and seeing it in IMAX, it's just loud as hell. The sound yeah. design in the movie is incredible. So good. Uh, I was literally like grabbing the the arms of my seat, like yes. pushing myself up. I was like, I think I was annoying the shit out of the guy next to me. I was like holding my legs. And I was like, Where's here it goes? Yeah, so I, I, and I, the I, resulting car chase was like so good. Yes. Oh my gosh, not to go on a tangent, but that's one of the scenes in the movie where like I almost started crying. Um, There's a lot of scenes in that movie that I was just like tearing up, but not because they were totally. sad or anything, but because totally. it was just beautiful and the car chase was one of those scenes where the whole time I'm like on the verge <laughs> of like I can feel the tears like welling and then totally. the scene where he gets out of the car and the penguins upside down and you get that shot of Batman walking towards him with the flames I lost it. Oh my god. <laughs> I was I, like I am this is am- with the song playing. Oh my god. <laughs> well, after the emotional high of best Bat- Batmobile, let's let's plunged into the depths with work Batmobile. I think we we mentioned it. It's it's the yeah. one from uh Batman Sucks. Forever. It was it's yeah. bad. <laughs> I just want to talk more about how cool the the, the Batman Batmobile yeah. is. So maybe it's another <laughs> podcast. Um uh best Gotham. I mean yeah um, yeah I'm just gonna go with the Batman again. I feel like that that was one of the times where and maybe I just maybe never paid attention to the previous ones, but that was one of the f- only maybe only times where gotham felt also like a character and um we got to see like we got to actually see like what it looked like and and the effects you know of what's going on in it like Mm -hmm. physically changing it so yeah and i don't have an answer for worse worse because i honestly don't know (laughs) yeah i don't think i've ever paid attention to like the actual like portrayal of the city before if that's <laughs> if that's what this means because best on-screen bat villain uh this is hard <laughs> um okay i'm just gonna say Calvin. uh like any and all versions of her uh 
she was very influential in my decision to become like a costume designer and like make oh. make costumes. So what about worst villain? Worst villain. Do I even have like a worst villain? I mean, I guess I'm going to just go with Jim Carrey's Riddler. I think that's maybe <laughs> the only one that I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't completely tolerate. Uh, you couldn't sanction his buffoonery? No, I, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Best Batman movie. I mean, uh, the Batman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> and then uh, worst Batman movie. Oh, Does Batman v Superman count? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, cool. That's... Yeah, I did not like that one. <laughs> it's, it's pretty rough. Obviously, like, recency bias, like, crazy, because everyone's going crazy about the Batman right now. But, like, yeah. that, movie's, that movie's just so damn good. We'll wrap it up there. But, I mean, thank you so much for being on this episode and talking the Forbidden Batman movies with me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, do you want to plug Stitchcraft one more time and tell people how they can find it? Yeah, uh, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Stitchcraft. It's, uh, it's Craft is spelled C-R-V as in Victor Freeze F-T. Um, <laughs> and uh, my website is stitchcraft.com. And uh well, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much once again for joining us for this one. If you want to keep following the show, make sure to do so at, at B1N1Pod on Instagram. Make sure to go vote in Franchise Frenzy. Thank you to Christian Cramo for our theme song. Um, also on Apple Podcasts, make sure you follow us, rate and review us. Leave us five stars. Nothing else is acceptable. Also, make sure to ring the bell on Spotify and um, give us five stars there as well. Next week, we are diving into all things animated Batman. We're going to be talking about Batman the Animated Series, Mask of the Phantasm, the Lego Batman movie, uh, animated Batman smorgasbord, if you will. So, But yeah, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Everybody chill. Chill, chill, chill. Chill, chill, chill. Chill, chill, chill. Yeah.